without further ado, I'd like to invite my friend Bob Horn uh, to come on up. Uh, let's give Bob a hand. Uh, Bob and I worked on staff together at Eastside Foursquare Church for about 16 years. Um, he's uh, my he's a recovery buddy. He's someone that helps me stay healthy. Um, he's someone that checks in on me with me on a regular basis. We hold each other accountable in life. He's the one that it's his fault that I started running. Um, and uh, he's he's. Uh, a dear, dear friend of mine. He's become a brother. The Lord has done some incredible work in him. He's always loved and followed Jesus. Uh, but he's been following Jesus even more, taking more risks, stepping out in more faith. And I thought as we concluded the series that I wanted you to hear his story of how he's gone from working at Eastside Foursquare Church to becoming the new executive pastor of Hope Tri-Cities Foursquare in Richland, Washington. And so he's in that gap. He's in that jump, that leap that we've been talking about for the last two months, and I just wanted you to hear his story today. And then we're going to pray and commission him as well at the end of the service. So thank you for being here, Bob. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, before we begin, I want to just take a minute and just talk about your pastor. And uh, I've known Chris, yeah, I think about 19 years. It's really been over the last five that we've really grown like brothers. And he is uh, second to Susie, my closest friend. And... Um, it was, a, it was a year ago that we were here celebrating with Chris and Katrina and Caleb and Savannah as Chris was installed as your lead pastor here at, uh, uh, at this place, South Everett Foursquare. And um, as I've been just talking with Chris over the last year and hearing how you've been engaging Casino Road and the city around you, how you've been growing not just as followers of Jesus but as disciples of Jesus, what's What's really been strikingly clear is how God has prepared Chris for this congregation, how he's such a great fit for this church, and how really this church is such a great fit for the Pepler family. So I just wanted to give you guys a moment just to express to God your gratitude for preparing the Pepler family and for Chris to be um, to be a part of your congregation. And uh, would you do that? Would you just give some praise to the Lord for his goodness? Thank you, God. It's been exciting to watch. It really is. It's fun to be here a year later. Well, you've been in a sermon series called Unqualified, a study of discipleship out of the Gospels, looking at what it means to not simply be a Christ follower, but what it means to be a disciple. We're going to conclude that series by jumping out of the Gospels and into the book of Acts, chapter 27, near the end of Apostle Paul's ministry. And I want to focus on two traits of a disciple, courage and obedience. So this morning, I'm going to share with you four principles of courageous obedience. And I believe that what you'll gain, what you'll experience during this message, is truly that the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of God's promises for you. And he's going to deposit in you courageous obedience to run towards those promises. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege to open your word. Uh, Thank you for this amazing congregation and these incredible people. Lord, as we open your word, would you do this? Would you remind us who we are? Would you reveal who you are, your character and your nature? Would you help us to see Jesus? And would you allow your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of background. Acts 27 If Acts 27 was an action-adventure movie, it would be one part Perfect Storm, one part Shawshank Redemption, and one part Castaway. Because what you've got here is you've got 
You've got prisoners, soldiers, sailors, a storm at sea, a shipwreck, and an island. And here's the background. We've got Paul is the central figure in this account. If you're not familiar with him, he's a former persecutor of Christians who was radically saved and became a sold-out disciple of Jesus. He planted churches throughout the Eastern Mediterranean. He wrote almost a third of the New Testament and his letters today are much of the are the roots of much of our theology, worship, and pastoral life. The book of Acts is actually the second of a two-part series, a two-part work. There's the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. It's written by an unnamed source. That nowhere in these books does it say who it's written by, but church tradition holds that Luke the physician was the author, writing sometime around AD 62 or 63, near the end of Paul's life, when he's under house arrest in Rome, waiting to present his case before Caesar. Chapter 27 is, is a, a first-person narration by Luke of Paul as a prisoner sailing to Rome. So follow me with me in your Bible or reading the text on the screen. We're just going to read the entire chapter of Acts 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy... Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramentium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we, had, when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion founded, found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous, and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the, of the owner of the ship, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in. The majority decided that we would sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice 
not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who, will sa- who, all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. I'm not much of a sailor. The closest thing I've ever experienced to sailing was a cruise to Alaska with my family a few years ago. And today's modern cruise ships have really very little in common with ancient sailing vessels, except that they both float on water. Um, Thankfully, I've never been a prisoner. I've never been in a hurricane. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never had to swim for my life. Yet there's so much in this account that, that I can relate to. Because all of us have had to weather the storms of life. All of us at some point have had to find courage to face fear. All of us have had moments when we had to choose between obedience and rebellion. So let's examine what's happening in this account and discover what courageous obedience looks like. Here's my first point. Courageous obedience is desperate for God's voice. Look at verse 9. Paul and the other prisoners are aboard this Alexandrian sailing ship. They've landed on the southern shore of Crete. It's the largest island of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. And Luke writes that the sailing is getting dangerous because it was after the Day of Atonement. 
That's also known as the Jewish Holy Day, Yom Kippur, which falls in early October. So you, what you have here is the easy breezy days of summer sailing are over, and now autumn is here, and the ocean's getting rough. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that the voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There's a temptation in the storms and trials to rely on human wisdom and disregard godly counsel. And the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, follows the advice of the experts, and then the majority aboard the ship decide to sail on. God will often speak to us through unlikely people in our lives. Courageous obedience requires a desire, even a desperation, to hear God's voice. And I'll tell you that at times, God's voice will be counterintuitive and contrary to what's popular. The centurion here rejects Paul's counsel because he's looking at Paul. He's like, what does he know? He's a prisoner. He's not an expert. He's not the ship's captain. He, so the centurion consults the experts and he follows their advice. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Then there's this majority vote. And they decide to sail on to the next port, hoping to winter there. But I don't know if you guys have noticed this. The majority vote doesn't guarantee success, does it? How many times have you and I followed the crowd and realized that was a really poor way to make a decision? There's a term for this. It's called groupthink. Have you heard of this term? It's the practice of thinking or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages creativity or individual responsibility. There's so many expressions that describe this way of thinking. Follow the crowd, jump on the bandwagon, mob mentality, rush like lemmings, succumb to peer pressure, go with the tide. All the cool kids are doing it. Or like Isaiah 53.6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. But courageous obedience leans in to hear God's voice even when it comes from an unlikely source or doesn't seem to make logical sense. I have firsthand experience of this. It was August 11th. Chris and I were hanging out on a Saturday morning. And Chris, you know how he does this. He says, hey, Bob, I, I have something to encourage you with. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer that I prayed the other day. I'm like, Chris, what's the prayer you prayed the other day? He says, I ask God what his promises are for me. Seems like a pretty innocuous prayer. I can ask God what his promises are for me. So I take him up on his, his kind of his challenge, and I'm going for a run later on that afternoon. It's in the evening. I'm going to go out for a five-mile run, so I'm going to be out there for about an hour. And I just start my, my run by praying, and I do that a lot. And I say, Lord, okay, what are the promises you have for me? One of the first things that the Lord just brought back to my memory was this desire that I've had for our home to be a place of ministry. The house that we have now in Bothell, it's, it's, we've had ministry there, but it's a smaller house. And I really wanted to have a place where, where it could be uh, something that I've experienced personally in other people's homes where you can just come and be restored and refreshed and a place where we can just really have, have it be available for ministry. The Lord brought that back to mind. And he was reminding me of some things that I've asked for, and he said, the scenery might change, but, but I'll meet you. I'll give you that promise. And, and as, as I talked more and listened more to the Lord, I had a sense that it was just kind of conditioned on, 
my obedience, my faithfulness, and my availability. I began asking the Lord about kind of a timeline of, because I had a sense that maybe our time at Eastside might be changing soon, but I didn't know when. And I had a very unlikely source. I was running along, and I have um, an app on my phone called Map My Run, and it it kind of speaks out your pace. And it said that my pace was, I don't know, like 10 minutes and 14 seconds per mile. But all I heard was the number 14. And it was just this weird, uncanny moment where I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, 14, in 14 months, you won't be at Eastside. You'll be someplace else. He was gonna, the Lord was going to relocate us. It made no sense because I was beginning new projects at Eastside. I was launching new things. The timing just made no sense. But continued this run, and uh, um, I just... I just listened to the Lord. The end of the run, I wrote everything down. And I said, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to lean into what God is saying. Courageous obedience is desperate for God's voice, leaning in and responding to it, even when it doesn't make logical sense. I'm going to continue more about that story in a bit. But number two's point is that uh, courageous obedience is sustained by God's word. Verse 13, a gentle south wind begins to blow, so they set sail. But that gentle breeze becomes a hurricane force wind. And the ship is caught by the storm. It's battered so severely that the sailors have to pass ropes under the ship to hold it together. Verse 18 and 19, Luke is writing. He says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Make an observation here. Have you ever noticed this in your own life, that, that storms have a way of clarifying what's really important and necessary? Non-essentials get thrown overboard. Storms drive us to our knees. And in the, the midst of the storm, that's when we really discover what truly matters. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It's right there. It's after giving up all human hope that God speaks. God shows up in our desperation. In our storms and our trials, we need to be desperate for a word from God that will sustain us, encourage us, and direct us. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, this is the old uh, you should have. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So once Paul has a word from God, he's convinced. To trust God and do what he says requires courageous obedience, and courageous obedience is sustained by God's word. Look at this. Paul's got a promise from God that not one soul aboard the ship will be lost, but the ship will be destroyed, and they're going to run aground on some island. I found that really interesting as I read that. I was like, you know, God has this prophetic word to Paul that, that everybody's going to be saved. But, but even in that sustaining word, it's not a promise that life is going to be all unicorns and rainbows. I mean, you're, the ship's going to be destroyed and you're going to run aground on some island. Trials and hardships are a fact of life. 
Let me come back to my story and how God's word has sustained us. The day that I heard this promise from God about leaving Eastside was, was the 222nd day of 2018. I know this because on January 1 of last year, I began what's called a run streak. I just decided to set this crazy goal of running at least a mile a day, a mile or more, every day. So I was keeping track of my miles and keeping track of the days. So at the end of this this run, after hearing this word from the Lord, I looked and I noted that it was the day 222. I'm like, that's an interesting number. I wonder if that means something. Because we know in the Bible, there's numbers mean things. So I looked up the number two and I found something that suggested that the number two represented union. I saw it, you know, thinking like, okay, there's a triple two, 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 two. I immediately thought of Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I had this sense that, that this promise from God was going to be a union of, of Bob, my wife Susie, and God Almighty accomplishing it. It's like this triple braided cord, two, two, two of union. So I shared all this with Susie. It was kind of funny. We, I come home from the run. I look at my wife and going, um, I think I have something to share with you, but I'm not sure if I need to say it now or if I need to pray about it. And she's like, no, if God said something, like, what is it? So I shared this whole crazy story that I feel like God's moving us out of Eastside, relocating us, has promises for us. Um, and she's like, what? <laughs> But I share the whole 222 part about it, and we just kind of like, okay, God, we trust you. Probably within a week, Susie wakes up in the middle of the night, looks at the clock. It's 222 in the morning, and she's sharing it with me. And I'm like, yeah, God, see, God's revealing to us that, this is, that he's in this. It wasn't like we saw the number 222 everywhere, but that was the number that was associated with this calling to, to step out of Eastside and, and into a new assignment. So I want you to... Fast forward with me to May 31st. Um, Chris had introduced me to Pastor Angel Esquivel, who pastors Hope Tri-Cities with his wife, Laura, in Richland. And they'd been talking to me about this executive pastor position. Um, we were coming to Richland that weekend to basically discover if this was God's next assignment for us. So we check into the hotel um, at the, the Hampton Inn right there on the Columbia River in Richland. And the, we go up to our room. It's on the third floor. It's overlooking the parking lot. There's, there's two queen beds, and Susie and I kind of look at each other like, if we're going to spend the weekend here on the Columbia River, let's see if they've got a room on the river side, you know, overlooking the river. Maybe they've got a, a king bed and a balcony. I said, if it costs more, I'll pay the difference. I'll, um, so I call down to the front desk. And I ask, and they're like, yeah, we're all booked up on that on that side. No, wait, there's one room left. It's on the second floor. It's a king bed overlooking the river. Come on down. We'll, we'll exchange keys and, and give you a key to your room. So go down the front desk, and I have a photo of the room key. It's room 222. I'm looking at this key, and I'm like, immediately I know what this means. All right, God, you've got my attention. All of his promises come back to me. So we, uh, we spent the rest of the evening and Saturday just spending time with Angel and Laura and some of their team, kind of getting an idea of what the Tri-Cities is like. And we're like, okay, we, we could live here. This is nice. And um, it's, we, haven't, we, we took a tour of the church, but we haven't been to a church service yet. It's Sunday morning, and we're having breakfast in the hotel. And I'm just sitting there with Susie, and we're eating breakfast. And I pull out my phone, and I'm looking at 
the the drive back to our house and I look at the map and I, I check the distance from our hotel to our home. It's like 228 miles. And I go, well, that's interesting. I plug in something else. I plug in the address for the church to our house. It's like 227. Then I begin to wonder and I go, well, what's the distance between Eastside Foursquare Church and Hope Tri-Cities? Here's the map up here. Anybody, can you see what that distance is? It's 222 miles. Immediately, I know what God has just said. On the 222nd day of 2018, God called me to step out of the boat and leave Eastside Foursquare Church and go to a church 222 miles away called Hope Tri-Cities. And just so that I would remember all of the promises that he's spoken to me, he put us in room 222. Anybody want to know what the mathematical odds are of any of that happening? And clearly it's a word from God. God had given me this very clear word, and, the, and this word I believe is going to sustain me, my, sustain my courageous obedience for years to come. Because the storms will set in. They will. There will be d- bad days when it will be hard. And I won't wonder if I made the right choice because it's not a decision of preference. It's a decision of obedience. Courageous obedience is sustained by God's word. I'll give you a third point. Courageous obedience doesn't design an escape plan. Look at verse 27. The sailors sense they're approaching land. They take soundings and discover the water is getting shallower. And verse 29. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. So Paul had just been given this prophetic promise, to, and he had shared it with everyone aboard the ship, that no one's going to die. Yet here are the sailors crafting an escape plan. Rather than believe what God has revealed to Paul, they give in to fear and look for a way to escape the ship and save their own butts. I'm an expert at creating worst-case scenarios. It's what I do. I can look at any situation. I can tell you all of the ways that it could disastrously go wrong, all of the negative possible negative outcomes. What that's done for me is it's helped me become really well-prepared, but most of the time I just get... Uh, it just keeps me locked up in fear, something that I've had to battle with most of my life. Fear causes one of three responses in humans. It causes flight, fight, flight, or freeze. And these sailors, what are they doing? They're fleeing. They're literally trying to jump ship and run in fear, even though God has promised that they'll survive. I've done the same thing. I think, okay, I'll trust God. But if it doesn't work out, here's my escape plan. Anybody done that with me? I found myself doing that the other day. God has made it so completely clear that our next assignment is Richland, Washington. He's made promises about my ministry there. He's he's made promises, um, and, and I know without a doubt that he's leading us there. Yet I found myself thinking last week, if this doesn't work out, what am I going to do? We're, we're selling our house in Bothell. We're buying a house in Richland. If this job doesn't pan out, where am I going to work? I'm creating an escape plan in my head. But a courageous obedience doesn't design an escape plan. Courageous obedience trusts God will do what he said, period. There's no plan B. 
Verse 25. This is the line to underline in your Bible. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Final point. Courageous obedience requires risk. Verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. I want to give you a warning. As Chris has said, that the, the goal of being a disciple of Jesus is to be sent. God's preparing you for something. But my warning is to get where God is sending you, you may have to cut loose the anchors and untie all your ropes. Come back to our story. We're selling our home. We're moving four hours away. Again, it's 222 miles away, right? We're cutting loose anchors. We're untying ropes. Relationships are going to change. New friendships are going to emerge. It's scary. It's unsettling. But it's also really freeing. We have a newfound openness to God doing something new in and through us. There's an author and and a coach to business executives, Marshall Goldsmith. He has a book entitled, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's a fitting title to describe the risk it takes to embrace courageous obedience. For these sailors to get their ship to shore, they had to cut the anchors and untie the rudders. They weren't going to get that anchor back. It's at the bottom of the ocean. They were taking a huge risk and letting go of what got them there. There's two other verses I'll share with you that I think say something very similar. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said it this way, Philippians three twelve through 14, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Come back to the text, verse 41. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Check this out. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, but it was the centurion who stopped their murderous plan and saved Paul's life. Further evidence that God's word was true, that they were all going to reach the shore safely. Make a final observation from this. The enemy of your soul is continuously plotting and planning your death. But God's promises will always prevail. If God has said you will reach land safely, you will. But don't be surprised if your ship gets smashed in the process. Let's pray.
Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us what courageous obedience looks like. That today you've shown us that courageous obedience is being desperate for your voice. Courageous obedience is being sustained by your word. Courageous obedience doesn't design an escape plan. It trusts you. And courageous obedience requires risk. Lord, right now in this room, and anybody who's listening to this message, they know that you've called them into bigger things. That's why you set them free. You called them out of darkness and brought them into your light. You have a plan. You have a destiny. You have an anointing and a purpose for every single person here. And God, many of us, we're so locked in fear and inhibited by who we think we are that we're afraid to step out on the water. We're afraid to live with courageous obedience. But God, I pray that right now your word would set us free. That shackles would fall to the floor and that the people in this room would step out in courageous obedience to do what you have said you will already what you have already said you'll do and to trust you at your word. God, if there's anybody in this room that has never made a decision to follow you, Jesus, I pray right now that they would that they would say yes to you, Jesus, to allow you to be their Lord and Savior and to set them free and to discover the hope and the joy and the destiny that you have already declared is true for their lives. God, thank you that each and every one of us is called to something bigger. Thank you, God, that you reveal those promises. Right now, I believe there are people that are pondering promises that you've spoken, promises that they've long since thought were dead. And Lord, right now in this moment, you're breathing hope on those promises. And you're calling us to live and to walk in courageous obedience into that future that you have for us. Thank you, God. We receive those promises today. And we commit to live in courageous obedience in pursuit of all that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me share God's word with you. All right. Well, as we did with Pastor Ben, I'm going to ask a few people who feel led to come and uh, and, and lay hands on Bob as we prepare to send him. And uh, yeah, so come on up if you feel led. Lord Jesus, we thank you that... Um, the fruit of Bob's obedience and courageous following after you is, is uh, encouragement for us this morning. Uh, Lord, even though uh, this is just Bob's second time and Susie's second time visiting here at South Everett, their family, just as much as Ben Dixon his family. And, and Lord, it's, uh, it's a little bit like an aircraft carrier today, just sending and sending and sending. And Lord, we thank you for obedience. 
We thank you that uh, Bob uh, models courage in every aspect of his life. And thank you for the freedom that comes with saying, I will trust you and I will follow you and there's no turning back. Lord, we thank you for Bob and for Susie and for Kyle and Bethany and for just their willingness to share the joy that comes from obedience with us. Uh, Lord, and as they prepare, Lord, in the months to come before arriving in Richland at the end of August, Lord, would you give them abundant rest? Lord, that's what I pray more than anything at this point is just uh, just a, a, uh, a respite from the storm. Uh, Lord, there will be plenty to do when they get there. There's been plenty done in the past, but Lord, we just pray for a break in the storm, that they might hear you clearly. Uh, then they wouldn't have to strive to do it, but would be overwhelmed by the amount that you would speak to them and share with them and say to them. And Lord, as uh, Bob goes, you know, or as Susie goes, you know exactly what they have been fashioned and purposed for in Richland. And Lord, let it be. And Lord, may we receive great report, and uh, may they come again to share, uh, maybe a year from now, about the goodness of, of God in their lives in the year. And Lord, as they said, we have dreams. Lord, give us courage to step out and to follow them faithfully forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, one last thing we're going to pray for before we get out of here. And what I feel called to do is is to have everyone just kind of stand up, and we're going to just kind of make a circle around the room. We're going to hold hands. Uh, we won't sing Kumbaya, I promise. Uh, but we are going to hold hands. So let's let's do this. So as Ben has been sent, Ben Dixon has been sent, and as Bob has been sent, uh, so are we... As South Everett Foursquare, oh, what's coming? We're bigger circle than that, right? Right? Look at this. It never looks like it's quite this big, does it? Right? Look around. So the person across from you, look at him. Look at him, right? The person that's across the room from you, just stare him down for a minute. Get eye contact with them, right? And say to them across the room, You have been sent. You have been sent. As Ben has been sent, as Bob has been sent, so are we sent this week uh, into our neighborhood through the Casino Road Vacation Bible School. And uh, what a remarkable thing that the Lord put on Danielle's heart, Danielle Erickson across the room over there. Wave at us, Danielle, in case people don't know there's Danielle. Uh, the very first meeting I had with Danielle when we showed up here was we were doing a VBS. And she was patient knowing that last summer there was a lot going on in transition to hold that dream for God's timing. And diligently she has been working to prepare many, many volunteers. How many volunteers, Danielle? I don't even know. About 75 volunteers, more than there are people in this room at this point, and they're not all from here. They're from Mill Creek Foursquare, New Life Foursquare, and the Everett Police Department, and the Parks Department, and all over the place. And uh, so we're going to be sent this week. And Lord, we uh, we ask you, Lord, we say to you, as, as Isaiah said, here, I, here am I, send me. Lord, we desire to be sent, uh, not to Federal Way. Uh, not to Richland, but Lord, you've sent us to this neighborhood. We're already here. You've sent us. You've delivered us, Lord, and, and set us free that we might do your good work. And Lord, as we go specifically to Walter Hall Park 
on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Lord, you're already there before us. You're doing things in advance of us coming. There's miraculous relationships that are about to be released, uh, to be embarked upon. And Lord, we pray above all things that the name of Jesus would be praised and glorified in the city of Everett on, uh, on the street that is Casino Road in the, in the park. Lord, may you be glorified. May decisions for you be made. May children go home and disciple their parents, Lord, may they take uh, the hundreds of copies of your word that you have provided faithfully and put it in their hearts. Uh, Lord, and may relationship thrive and flourish. Lord, we ask that you would give Danielle additional strength and wisdom. Lord, we pray that with a billion details swirling in her mind and the mind of her team tonight, that they would rest at peace. Lord, and we get a good night's sleep and we'll wake up tomorrow energized, rejuvenated, and ready to go. Lord, so we want to be disciples, not just believers. Uh, belief is where we start. And, uh, and Lord, following you to the ends of the earth and uh, every place in between is what you've called us to and we want to be disciples we want to take your word uh, that you might be glorified and magnified in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen god bless you church we'll see you tomorrow you've been listening to a podcast from south everett foursquare church for more information about us please visit us online at www.southeverett.org